Today we're concluding our four-week series entitled Deja Nu. Deja Nu, not Deja Vu, Deja Nu. And I believe a lot of people, when they think about setting goals and New Year's resolutions, almost get cynical. Like we get cynical because we've done this a lot, right? We've done it a lot and nothing ever changes. And I felt like the Lord gave me this series to do so that we can do something different this year. Believe God for greater things. This doesn't have to be a deja vu year. You don't have to repeat last year that God literally wants to take your deja vu and turn it into deja new. Come on, he wants to do a new thing inside of your life. Amen, somebody? So um, I want to conclude this series as we look at our theme verse in Ecclesiastes. You got some notes? Your Bible, go there with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And there's a very depressed guy writing a book in the Bible. And if you've ever read this before, it doesn't start off very happy. He's screaming and he's saying, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. At first glance, you're looking at him like, dude, what's your problem? But he's telling you and trying to describe how he feels in life because God's not first. And how many know whenever God's not first, life begins to feel meaningless, pointless, empty? This is him. He goes on a rampage for several chapters of describing the emptiness that he feels. He's very wealthy, and he could afford anything, and he, he experienced everything his heart desires, and everything that he thought would deliver the ultimate satisfaction let him down. So let's continue reading in verse 3. He says, What do people gain from all of their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He says, Nothing changes. It's deja vu. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. He's using this as an analogy of his life. He says, I've I've allowed everything into my life, and yet I'm still not satisfied. I'm not full. And he goes on to describe to the place the streams come from. There they return again. Verse 8. All things are wearisome. I'm so tired of it all. More than anyone can say. What has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Verse 10. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? He says, nope, it's already been there long ago. It was here before our time. If you read on to chapter 2, verse 17, he gets to a place where I'm afraid many of you have been. And that is where he says, I hate life. I hate it. I've tried everything. Nothing's fulfilling me. He says, I hate life because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. You can never catch the wind. And he feels like he's going crazy. Can I encourage your heart today that you don't have to stay there? Maybe you feel that way, but you don't have to stay there. God wants to turn your deja vu into deja nu. He wants to do a new thing. And in Isaiah chapter 43, he even says, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. That's a word for somebody. Don't dwell on last year. Don't dwell on yesterday. Don't dwell on the past. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Somebody say, new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, and I'm going to bring streams of water even in your wasteland. Today I want to preach a message entitled, Running Intentionally. Running Intentionally. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for an amazing opportunity to come into your presence and to be changed. We thank you that, God, even though we've come in with heavy hearts, we're leaving 
knowing who you are and knowing what we are about. We are we're your sons and daughters, and today I pray that you change our hearts, strengthen us, and help us to run this year intentionally. In Jesus' name, if you believe in somebody, shout a good amen. amen. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody here like the Olympics? Come on, wave at me. Love the Olympics. It is the time where all the Olympians come out and show us all how out of shape the rest of us are. It's really quite pitiful, actually, but they, they come out and they turn out in droves, and hundreds of thousands of people watch the Olympics every four years, and we have champions like Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and, and both, and all these people competing in track and field and swimming and lifting and basketball, and we love champions. Everybody loves a champion. We will turn the TV on to watch a champion. We love to see people victorious. We love it. We love it. Some of you took work off just to watch champions on television. Calling in, <laughs> I'm sick today. I need to watch the Olympics. We love a champion. Everybody does. And I'm here to tell you, look at me, everybody, when I tell you there's a champion in you. And you may not see it right now, but God has ordained you to win. And not only has he ordained you to win, but he wants you to win big. And the last couple messages we've experienced over the, this series, Deja New, it's been incredibly practical. And today I would love to inspire you to help you to know what to do for the next few months and, and years to come. That it's not 21 days and done, it's 21 days and then what does God have for you next? And I want to encourage your heart to continue moving on. And I want to look at a passage of scripture that is probably familiar to some, and maybe for others of you, you've never even seen it. But there's a guy named Paul in the Bible who was a Christian hater. He hated Christians. He used to persecute them for a living. He would disrupt small group meetings and throw Christians in prison. And he thought that he was doing God a favor. Meanwhile, he was fighting against God. And I love it when something happens to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus because they, they encounter God and they become a Christian. The very thing that they said they would never be, they are now, and they turn into be the greatest missionary this world has ever known. I love atheists. I love people who don't know God. My heart is for them, and I, would lo I love it when they experience the same grace that I experience, and their lives is forever, forever changed, because they go on to become some of the greatest Christians. This is Paul. Paul's writing, and he writes a sentence that's tucked into the New Testament. And if you read the Bible too quickly, sometimes you miss things. And so I really want to slow down and just read this and unpack this one verse together as a launching pad for what I believe that God wants to say to us today. He says this, in all these things, which begs the question, which things? Well, if you read the verses prior to this, he tells you which things he's actually talking about. He says, trouble hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, even the sword. And I don't believe that this is an exhaustive list. I believe that he's saying in everything, no matter what you're going through, what hardship you're going through, he says in all these things, we, who's we? Those who are followers of Jesus. We are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, more than. There's conquerors, and then there's us. This is not something we attain in and of ourselves. This is not a self-help message. This is not a self-help sermon. He says, 
in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, that's Jesus, who loved us, that's motivation. And this verse is dripping with urgency. And I'd love for you to memorize this, and maybe we could just say it out loud together since it's so short. Let's read it out loud together. You ready? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This time, one more time, but a little louder. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let that sink in for a minute. The U.S. girls gymnastics team several years ago they won by five points. Five points is not a lot if you're playing basketball. It is a lot if you're playing gymnastics. They, they didn't just win. They won big. I'm here to tell you, God wants you to win. He doesn't just want you to win. He wants you to win big. I said he wants you to win big. I know there's constant struggles on the journey, but I'm telling you, God has ordained you to be a victor. I know it doesn't, it doesn't look like it right now, but you have been ordained to stand on the winning steps. There is a champion on the inside of you. And it doesn't matter how dark things may look right now. It doesn't matter how bleak they may seem. You have a God who's the creator and sustainer of all life. He is the one who won victory and wants to share that with you. Is anybody in the room that's grateful that we have a God who wants to give you the abundant life he promised so you can fulfill the purpose on your life? Come on. I wish I had two or three people in here that believe the word of God today. He is a mighty God. And he loves you so much, he doesn't want to let you stay where you are. He has ordained you to be an overcomer. Not just an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. You are a hyper-conqueror. And he's going to enter you into some events to prove that you're a champion. Michael Phelps was not just a champion because he thought he was. He had to be tested. And there are certain tests that come your way that none of us like. Nobody enjoys being tested. If you do, you're weird. <laughs> but tests are necessary to prove that you are who God says you are. It proves something inside of you. It proves something to others who are watching you. You will never be able to get to where God wants you to go until you are tested. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 105, the Bible says that God sent a man ahead of them named Joseph. He was sold as a slave. That's not fun. He was hurt. His feet were, were, were hurt with fetters. That's not fun. They laid him in irons. That's not fun either. Verse 19 says, until the time that his word came to pass. In other words, the prophetic word over his life. In other words, let me say it another way. Until it was proven that he really was who he says he was and the destiny was resting on his life like God said it would, until that came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. There's a testing that comes to every person who follows God. It's not fun, but it's necessary. It's not invited, but it's mandatory. God allowed Joseph to go through a series of tests so that he can get to where he was now the second in command of an entire nation and save so many thousands of people's lives. There's a testing that comes in our lives. So God enters you into some events. And all through the Bible, we are likened, there's analogies given, we are likened to different, different things. Like we're, in one passage of Scripture, we're likened to be soldiers. In another passage of Scripture, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're branches. In another place, we're likened to be sheep. Nah. In another place, we're likened to be athletes. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing and he says we're like athletes. He's using an analogy to prove a biblical truth. He says, do you not know that in a race, everybody runs? And that's true, right? In a race, don't you know that in a race, all the runners are running? Can I tell you, we're all in a race, the race of life. Everybody is running. The problem is not everybody's running the right way. Many people are running in wrong directions. And they're running, they're chasing after stuff, but it's the wrong stuff. Paul says, in a race, we're all running, but only one gets the prize. And so he says, therefore, run in such a way. In other words, run in a way that, that, that has focused determination. Run with, with a determination and intentionality. Run where you are, where you're running with purpose. Run in such a way as to get the prize. We're not just kind of basically barely running, kind of what's up over here? Let me talk to the people in the stands. Let me get a corn dog over here. You've never seen an Olympian do that. With laser focus, vision, they are running to finish the race. So it's a prize. And when, when God gives you a prize, Anything God gives you is amazing. His grace is amazing. His love is amazing. His purpose is amazing. His, his destiny is amazing. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. We don't like this phrase too much. Strict training. Salvation is free. Thank God for that. But if you want to reach your full potential, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. There's going to be some strict training that's necessary for you to attain the goal that God put in your heart. They do it to get a crown that won't even last. I mean, it, literally, it's a wreath. It was a, a wreath that was already half dead, and they put it on the, hair, the head of the games of people in biblical times and said, there you go. Attaboy. They don't, we don't do it for that. We do it for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run. He likens us to athletes racing. I don't run like a run, man running aimlessly. Which again, can I just point out that a lot of society is running aimlessly. That's what happens when you don't have vision for your life. If you don't have God's vision for your life, you run aimlessly. It's like there's no direction, like nothing matters. It doesn't matter. People live their life like that. Whatever. You want to go here? Sure. Whatever. Whatever. There's no boundaries. There's no aim. There's no direction. He says, I don't run like that. I don't roll that way. I'm not running, I'm running actually specifically towards something, and I don't fight. And he likens us to a boxer. I don't fight like a man that's beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's a heavy verse. Very deep verse. But he lets us know that we're all in a race. Write this down, everybody. If we're in a race, let's run to win. If we're in a race, let's just go ahead and win this thing then. Can I hear a good amen from everybody? Like, if we're going to run, we might as well win. This speaks of goal orientation. In the last couple of weeks, we talked about making goals, writing goals down. And I want to encourage you, when we give you stuff and assignments, like, hey, write your, list, your goals down. Don't just hear it and leave. This is not the area where changed lives happen. You make decisions in here that change life. This is an environment, but an environment has never changed anybody's life. It's the decisions you make in an environment that changes you forever. So write the goals down, because only 3% of Americans actually do that, but they're the ones who succeed the most. And then we talked about time management, what that looks like. And if you have a list, don't just have a list, then you have to give everything a time. When are you going to work on that area? When are you going to do that? What day? What time? When? The day as we inspire you, I want you to be encouraged to run with purpose, run with intentionality, because if you don't have intentionality, you're never going to get there. 
My wife and I uh, travel quite a bit and speak here and there, and, and that's a lot of fun to do and invest in other churches. And one time we were at a conference in L.A. a few years ago, and we had a night off. So we went out on a date because I got game. <laughs> and I, I asked her, where would you like to go? And she said, I don't know. Let's just drive. And I said, well, that's, that's good, but we're in the car now. Which way do you want to go? She said, I don't know. Let's just drive. I wonder, is there anybody like me where when you turn the car on, you like to have a destination in your head of where you are going to end up so we're not wasting time and wasting gas? Is there anybody that I'm preaching to today? I'm not the only one. Well, it worked out that night. We found a cute little spot, and we had a cute little date night. And That's fun for vacation. That's fun for a date. That is not fun for life. You cannot just, let's just drive. You can't live your life like that. Craig Rochelle says it this way, that everybody ends up somewhere. Few people end up somewhere on purpose. I don't want you to get to the end of your life, and you say, I don't even know how I got here. I know how you got there. You didn't have a goal. There wasn't a dream. There's nothing driving you. There's no direction. It was aimless anticipation. It was aimless driving. And pretty soon we end up in a spot we never thought we would end up. Ladies and gentlemen, let's run to win this thing. And then write this down. Let's train to win. We run to win, but we need to train to win. Training, training, training. We are what we repeatedly do, one man said. Chris Hodges puts it this way, that we form our habits and then our habits form us. <laughs> That's why it's important to find habits, make new habits, create habits that are uphill habits that are going the right direction because you don't want to live your life just aimless. There's a training that comes into play. And every Olympian, every Olympian knows this. Every Olympian is in strict training. They know what they want. They are not just doing this for fun. They have a goal in mind. They have a gold medal in mind. They are specifically running and training for a specific goal. I don't know about you. Is there anybody like me? It's not fun unless you win. Let's just have fun. Everybody have fun. No. We're in it to win it. I don't know what we are teaching the next generation of children when we do not keep score for T-ball. Ladies and gentlemen, what is America coming to? Everybody's a winner. No, everybody's not a winner. There is a very clear winner and a very clear loser. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? <laughs> Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. Why are we giving trophies to losers? <laughs> Little Jimmy comes up to his dad and says, Dad, we, won. we tied today. Can we go out for ice cream? The dad's like, I kept score. You didn't win. You lost. And ice cream is only for winners. You're a loser. You're going home and running laps. Nobody's keeping score. I guarantee you the parents are keeping score. <laughs> and if you've ever lost before in high school, you know the sting of that. You know what that drives you to, to go train harder, to train more so that that will never happen again. We need to train to win. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we have to get to a place where we understand that training is such a vital part of who we are. It's not something that's just as instantaneous. Salvation is instantaneous, but if you want to get to where God wants you to go, that's going to take some intense training. Because here's what we do. We live in an instant society. 
microwave Christianity, microwave society where we want everything right now. And I know what it's like. Come on, you, I'm not the only one. You went to the gym one time <laughs> and went home and you made sure nobody was looking and you, you literally had the nerve to look in the mirror to see if anything changed. <laughs> you went one time. One. And it wasn't even a very long workout. You went one time and this is you in the mirror. You were tempted to take a selfie, but you weren't sure. <laughs> Saw one infomercial on Insanity, got the DVDs, didn't even finish the first DVD, about 15 minutes of sit and be fit, and all of a sudden you get up and you want to flex in the mirror. A lot of us in life do the same thing with God. Salvation is free, salvation is instantaneous, but there is something to be said of strict training, of putting your body through intense training to get to where God wants you to go. It builds your faith, it builds your res resistance and tolerance. Listen, you cannot ever build muscle without resistance. It's got to be part of our life. There's got to be a constant training and resistance process, and we're complaining about the resistance. The resistance is the only way that you're going to get there. You have, to, you have to back up for a second and ask yourself, do I want this instant result or am I dedicated to the process? We love before and after pictures, but you've never seen somebody post a before and after picture one day apart. <laughs> I went to church one time. It didn't work. <laughs> Give it some time. As a matter of fact, we say take the one-year challenge. Give this church a year of your life. Apply the principles we give you on a Sunday. Go through the growth track. Get on the dream team. Start serving. Get in small groups. Your life will be so different in a year from now. I guarantee you. Why? Because it's strict training. If you want to win the prize, if you want to run with intentionality, we've got to go into strict training. I remember hearing about an athlete. She said she trained for 12 years for 12 seconds of a race. 12 years. She trained 12 years for a 12-second race. Have you ever trained 12 years for anything? I've never trained that long for anything. She did that for a 12-second race. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something to be said about strict training. So run to win, train to win, and then write this down. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize. This is not running aimlessly. This is, this is intentionality. Again, we're not just doing this to have fun. We're going to have fun. We're going to change the world, but we're also going to go into strict training, keep our eye on the prize, and we're going to say, God, we know what you have in front of us is so much greater than what's behind us. I want to actually arrive there. Turn and tell two people I'm in it to win it. Come on, tell them I'm in it to win it. I'm not just here taking up space. I want to win this thing. I want to win the prize. Don't get distracted. Honor God. Reach my full potential and change the world. Come on, let's clap our hands if that's your prayer today. We ought to be in this thing to win it. Run to win. Train to win. Keep your eye on the prize. God has a specific prize for you to win. And in Ephesians, he tells us what to put on, like to get dressed. It's time to get dressed with the armor of God. It's like the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and, and the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation and, and all these things you can read in Ephesians chapter 6. But before we get dressed, Hebrews tells us there's some things we have to take off. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which I don't have time to get into it, but I believe that those are the people that have gone on before us in heaven. He says, therefore, let us 
throw off everything that hinders. Everything. One translation says, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. It's a big word. Run with perseverance. The race that is marked before us. So we're told to, to take off some stuff. To lay aside the sin. Well, the sin is, we don't even know what that sin is unless we read the Bible. That's why we encourage people, hey, let's read the Bible. Because there is actually something called sin. And I know we live in a society that didn't want to say anything is wrong. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. And so the world will scream at us. Nothing's wrong. Stop saying stuff is wrong until we disagree with what they're saying. And then they're like, you're wrong. There actually is something called sin. And it's nothing to be mad at God about. God didn't put sin on us. We chose it. How silly of us then to get upset with God who protects us from it. Who comes and says, I want to rescue from this. You would not, not one person in here would say, Sean, you're a bad parent because you slapped your daughter's hand because she was about to touch the hot oven. No, I'm trying to keep her from that. I've never seen anybody come up to a, like a guard or guardrail on the side of a cliff, like going up to Tahoe. There's a huge thousand foot cliff or something like that and a guardrail. I've never seen anybody out there kicking the guardrail like stupid. Guardrail, what's your problem? Just trying to keep me bound. No, it's actually there for your protection, sir. It's actually there so you don't plummet to your death, sir. How silly of us to get mad at God. God's not like trying to take the fun out of life. He's saying, don't do that. You're going to crash. And we live in a society that says there's nothing wrong. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. Can I just briefly remind you, Jesus Christ did not come to planet Earth because we were all okay. He came to rescue us from our sin. Is there anybody that's grateful that we, don't, we no longer have to pay for our own sin, but Jesus paid for it? Come on. That's what kind of Savior he is. He saved us from sin. He loved us so much, he said, I'm willing to give my own life for you. And then he turns around and says, let's lay that down now. Let's lay that aside. So the sin that so easily ensnares us, take that off, put it down. And then he says, anything else that, that maybe is not sin just looking at it, but it becomes sin to us if it gets in the way of us following God. Let's lay something aside. He says, you're in a race, and if you want to finish well, as you get dressed, you got to take some things off. So write this down. What? do you need to take off? What is it in your life that you need to take off? Because we carry a lot in life. A warm-up suit is cute. A warm-up suit is fancy. Has your name on it, stripes and a logo. But there's breakaway pants for a reason. First of all, in case you ever feel a dance coming on, You never know. But secondly, because you cannot run and race and compete in a warm-up suit. You, you can't. It's too much. It would be distracting. It gets in the way. As a matter of fact, these people, before they, before they go run in track or before they, they play a basketball game, they take all of the fancy stuff off and strip down to the basic necessities. These people run in uniforms that would be embarrassing for most of us to wear. I even had some swimmer friends in high school. These guys, they would swim, 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 practice, practice, practice. And then the day of their meet, they would shave their entire body. 
legs smooth as a baby's bottom. Why? Because even the hairs, they said they would practice with, with the hairs on their legs, but when they swam, it was just extra resistance that they had to get rid of. I mean, to the hairs on their legs? Can you understand what he's saying? Like, we have to strip down. There's some things we've got to let go of. A few years ago in the Olympics, there was a lady, because of her religion, she wore a head wrap, and the commentator said, she'll never win. She'll never win. There's no way. There's too much resistance there. She won't win, and she didn't. And all of us have to understand, we are, we are racing through life, and many of us are carrying so much stuff. And God's saying through the pen of Paul, I need you to take some stuff off. You're going to win the race. I'm, I'm going I'm to help you. But as you're running, you've got to take some stuff off. And the question of the day is this. As you're running towards your goals, running towards your dreams and the purpose and the destiny of God, what are those things? That's the question of the day. What are those things that we have to lay aside? The sin? Let's lay it aside. Everything else that ensnares us and trying to trip us up, what are you carrying? What are we carrying that we no longer should be carrying? What is the sin in our life that we no longer pray about? What is the sin that we've gotten so familiar with in our life? What is it in our life that we've gotten so comfortable with that we don't want to address anymore, that we're not interested in deliverance from, we just want to learn how to manage it well? What is that area in our life? All of us have it. Where, what is it? What is it that we no longer even pray for deliverance from? May I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ did not come to this earth for behavior modification. He came to set captives free. He came to forgive us from our sin. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful for that? Let's clap our hands and say amen. He wants to remove our sin, and he said, if you let me pay for your sin, you won't have to pay for it anymore. Let me remove that from you. So we have to ask these penetrating questions. What is it in our life that we need to lay down? What is it that we have to give up? And what is it that we have to do? Because we're racing a race. We're not racing against each other. I'm not, we're not competing against each other. We're running on the same team. We're, we just want to run the same way. There's a prize for everybody who finishes. And to finish well, to have God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. But how fun is it to do life with other people who are running the same way as you? That's why small groups are so vitally important to the journey, to the race, that we're racing, not alone. And we have a booklet right here that lists all the small groups, and uh, you can pick this up on your way out. Small groups launch this Wednesday, February the 1st, this Wednesday. Come on, let's clap our hands for all the small group leaders. You say, what is a small group? A small group is a group that is small. You gather in large gatherings here on Sundays. Thousands of people, but these are groups where you need a small group of people who are going to be running the same way as you, and you don't need to worry about like the, what, what group you want to do. Just pick one. Like Your life is your group. Don't add another meeting to your week. Just find one that fits your schedule and your liking. There's, there's, there's I, I think, like biking groups, and there's, there's uh, uh, mother's groups, and singles groups, and marriage groups. I mean, there's just so many groups. Find one that would fit your schedule and do life with people for 13 weeks, one time a week for 13 weeks. I, I bet you you'd make some relationships with people. You'd be stronger for it. James 5.16 says this. Confess your faults one to another and you can be healed. You confess to God to receive forgiveness, 1 John 1.9. But if you want healing, it's very clear. God has set up the context of relationships so that we can be healed. Some of us have been doing life alone. 
Some of us have been training alone. Some of us are running alone. And that was never God's plan. Let me show you a video of a story of a young lady who came to our church broken, but the power of God's word through small groups healed her life. Check it out. Hi, my name is Nina Wilhelmina Jorgensen, and this is my story. Even before I was born, things were chaotic. My biological father was very abusive. Um, he hit my mother in the stomach while I was um, inside of her. We lived with him for three years. He was smoking all the time in front of us, um, drinking a lot. My sister got the guts to call my mom. She finally had the proof to get us back. And then I continued to live my life with my mom. She had um, a, a problem with alcohol. No one wanted to deal with her when she would get drunk. So I had to. After a while, I got numb to things. I just didn't know how to deal with it. I couldn't cry. Um, it's hard for me to cry. I would say I, would, I want to cry, but it takes so much for me to cry. Um, I just felt alone, and I got to the point where I became suicidal. I knew a fellowship church, but when we came back from Vallejo to live with my family, I went back. People's spirits were, they were just so kind and welcoming. And then they, um, small groups was starting. I started asking about the small groups. I wanted to be happy again. I, I didn't want to be nervous anymore. I didn't want to be anxious anymore. So they advised me, you should go to LIFE, the LIFE group, which is now called Freedom. And my life started coming back together, just this, um, the lessons in it and God's word that's involved with it healed, healed my heart. It's just that you're able to trust each other with your stories, with your feelings, and become a family. And I joined another small group for single mothers. It's so good to have other single mothers with similar stories and able to group up and stand together, give each other advice, give each other clothes for your children. Small group is the beating heart of this church. I've never felt so much peace and joy in my life. I have my life back. I am not so, I'm not sad. I pray every morning and every night with my son. And I learned that Logan isn't isn't just mine, he's not mine at all, that he is the Lord's, that I do not ever need to worry about him. We have family, we have friends, we have, we have such wonderful leaders in this church. Thank you, and thank you for small groups, because you guys literally saved me and my son's life. Come on, let's clap our hands for her sharing that story. It's amazing, power of small groups. I'm gonna sign up today, but I'm here to tell you, listen, you've been ordained to win. You've been ordained for victory. There's going to be some sin that tries to stop you, but you've been ordained to win. But you can't run with hidden sin. And that's the great news about the gospel, that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to pay for our sin so that we no longer have to stand there and pay for it ourselves. He loves you so much. And he loves you so much, he's going to allow you to be tested, to be entered into some events. And Paul said, I'm going, to, I'm going into a boxing match, but I'm not swinging like I'm just beating the air. I discipline my body in such a way. I discipline myself, he said. I think it's funny how the word discipline has become such a bad word to disciples. It's part of our journey to live a disciplined life. And I know we're all working on it. I get that. But let's begin to run the right direction. Can I hear an amen, everybody? I know some of you here today. You feel like you're in the boxing ring and you feel like you're up against the ropes and it's one hit after another, one blow after another. You're feeling 
so weak. You're feeling tired. You're feeling limited. You're feeling like it's over. I'm here to tell you the bell has not been rung yet. And as tired as you are, and as broken as you are, and as bleeding as you are, my encouragement as your pastor would be this. Stay in the ring. I know you're getting hit from left and on the right, but I'm telling you, stay in the ring. Why? Because you're in a fight, but it's not just a normal fight. This is a fixed fight because God is on your side. God is in your corner. And there's a guy named Jehoshaphat in the Bible who didn't know what to do. He had three enemies, three armies coming to attack and kill them and take the rest of their family as slaves. He said this to God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. And the word of the Lord came to him and says, the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. And God gave him a strategy that would make anybody nervous. He didn't say, go out there and start swinging. He said, send the choir out first. And they sent the choir out there. They got their choir robes. And they began to sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. Getting the focus off of the problem and onto Almighty God. And here's what God said, I want you to go out there. Now, if I'm Jehoshaphat, I would have been saying, well, God, if it's your battle, why do I need to go? I just want to stay over here in the cheerleading ministry and just kind of support you. Woo! Go, God. God says, no, I want you to go out there. There's something that God does in you and something God wants to do through you to participate in your own miracle. Not that the miracle comes because of you, but the miracle comes because of God, and he always wants you to see it. There's something that happens when you see God step in. There's something what happens when you are broke and there's no way out and God provides a job out of no place. There's something when your marriage is at the very last rope and it seems like there's no hope. And for God to come through and soften hearts and turn that around, it does something to a man. It does something to a woman. When you step up and say, God, I feel broken, lost, empty, and alone, and then you join a church, you find family, you discover your purpose, you begin to make a difference, I'm telling you, something changes. God wants you to see it. It's not that he needs you. It's that he wants you. He wants you to see it. He wants you to see he really is God. He really is who he says he is. He really is the one who can start things, finish things. He's the God who's going to get you safely to your destination, but he needs you to step out there. If all you do is stand and sing, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. I don't know how this is going to happen, but he really is good. And his mercies were new at the rising of this morning's sun. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's with me today? An old song used to say, how can I ever have a miracle if I never had a problem? Some of you are smack dab in the middle of your miracle and you don't even see it. Your miracle is in seed form. You need to water that thing with some faith. You need to start praying over that again and saying, God, I know it doesn't look good. I don't even feel it in my heart, but I'm speaking out what I do not see. What's not in my current reality. I will prophesy into my atmosphere. God, you are greater than this. You are bigger than this. You are stronger than this. And I'm on your side, God. Where do you want to go? Stir up some faith. Don't just look at your current reality. Look at God. Look at who he is. Don't just look at how big your problem is. Look at the size of your God. He's the one who spoke and created the universe. He named the stars and created the world in one breath. What more can he do with you? He says, I want you to throw off some things. 
I'm going to use you, but I need you to let go of some things. What is the thing? For some of us, it's greed. For some of us, it's ego. It's pride. It's lust. It's arrogance. I don't know what it is, but we've got to let that go. And then we need to realize that this is not a sprint. This is not changing in in, in, in such a way that you never have to work at it again. You might have to... You might have to train for the rest of your life. Don't you hate working out? It takes so long. Hours every week. You finally get to a place where you see a little bulge in the right place. Bing. You've worked for months for a tiny definition. Months, months. And then in just two weeks of not working out and eating badly, you lose everything. (laughs) This is not a sprint. You're building endurance. Here's what I found. The more you run, the more you can run. The more you work out, the more you can work out. Say you can't even walk a mile, but if you start off with a quarter mile, you do that for a week, guess what? Next, next week, you're going to be able to walk half a mile. And if, if you do that for a week, pretty soon you're going to be able to run a mile. People don't, they don't run marathons, 26.2 miles. They don't just wake up one day off the couch eating a donut like, hey, I'm going to go run a marathon. They would die. <laughs> but it's one step at a time. One mile at a time. What we're saying to you is it's going to take some endurance. Get prepared. Start stretching a little bit. Church needs to learn how to stretch again because God does want to stretch you. He does want to take you further than you ever thought you could go. He wants to do something great inside of your life. Listen, this is not a sprint. This is a long distance race. Stay in the fight. Stay in the race. Don't quit. God is with you. Come on. You can make this. You can do this. God is with you. He has made some promises to you and he will fulfill them. And to write this down, number three, our final point, that we do this, we run, we fight, not in our own power, but in God's power. It's in His power. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord, not ourselves, not our own ability, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people. People's not the problem. This is a spiritual attack. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Sometimes when Diane and I have been arguing, sometimes we've stopped and said, this is, this is an attack of the enemy. It's not about us. If the devil can get you to fight people, he can get you to fall into the trap. Your boss is not your problem. Your spouse is not your problem. That person is not your problem. If the devil can get you fight to fight in the natural, you're fighting the wrong enemy. And the devil's laughing the entire way. It's like me slapping you and pointing to somebody else and saying, he did it. And you get so mad at them, so frustrated with them, and you are distracted from finishing your race. What a clever plan of the devil. And today, 
I believe that God is opening up our eyes to see clearly the purpose and the plan of Almighty God. The fight is in the spiritual realm. If you don't fight it there, you will never have victory here. What does that mean to fight in the spirit? That sounds ethereal. It sounds mystic. It's not. It's just fight. You pray. You read your Bible. You submit your life to God. You, you surrender to God. You take steps like that. You're not getting distracted. You're running to win. You're training to win. I'm praying what Paul prayed for the people of Ephesus. That your eyes, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Finally, that we can see what God's trying to do. That you can know the hope, the hope, the hope to which God has called you to. Praying that you see that today. The glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And his incomparably great power. I love this. For us who believe. That power. What power? The incomparably great power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen to me, listen to me. The power of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He said, that same power is alive in you. Look at me, everybody. So what that means is, what you're going through, what you're facing, if it's not bigger than a dead Jesus, then you and the Holy Spirit can handle this. I don't think you heard me. I said, if what you're facing is not bigger than a dead Christ, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then you and the Holy Spirit got this. It's no thing. It is a small thing for God to do. It is a small thing to believe God for. Let's get back to where the eyes of our hearts are open to see the hope to which God has called us heavenward. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Every time the devil tries to come against you, you he jumps on the sword of the Spirit. You're dressed in the armor of God. You have the helmet of salvation. The spirit of God is inside of you. You have the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. We're not standing in our own righteousness. It's God's righteousness. You have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Every time he jumps on you, he just jumps on the sword. He tries to throw fear on you. You say, no, 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 no. I know my Bible. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make my request known unto God. And he promised the peace of God that passes understanding would guard my heart and guard my mind in Christ Jesus. The devil comes to you and says, you're alone. You're all by yourself. Nobody loves you. No, 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 no. The Bible says Jesus Christ would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He would be with me until the end of the age. But the devil tries to come against you with fear, saying you, you won't have enough. You're not going to have enough. And I, you say, man, that's, that's, that sounds true. What do I do? And you go back to the Bible and say, no, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. To fight the right way. We're not fighting people, we're fighting in the spirit. And I believe with all my heart, write this last point down. I believe that God, He wants you to win big. You're gonna win big. Not just conquerors, you're more than a conqueror. You're gonna win big. And I don't mean the lottery. But if you do, Make sure you tithe. <laughs> Think about the area in your life that you have not had victory in. Think about the most difficult area of your entire life. 
You didn't even have to think that long. It came straight to your mind. Think about it. And now with eyes of faith, I need you to see yourself victorious in that area. Don't accept it. You're more than a conqueror. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. God has overcome. Don't focus on the problem. You have a mighty God. He is a savior. He was your savior 2,000 years ago on a cross, and he's your modern-day savior on Tuesday. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And I believe with all my heart that God wants us to get to a place where we begin to believe him again, that he really can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think, according to that same power that rose Christ from the dead, that works now inside of you. Come on, I wish I had some people that can believe God that 2017 can be the best year yet. Let it be a year of intentionality where we run to win, we train to win, and we're gonna win big because God is with us and we're not fighting in our own strength, we're fighting in his mighty power and the best is still yet to come. Come on, if you believe that, could you clap your hands and say a strong amen? Come on, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, believe it. Believe it, believe it. Let God begin to do a new work inside of your heart. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Don't settle, believe what God has in store. Believe it, my friend. I believe with all of my heart, God wants to change something today. Inside of us, me, you, you can do this. That's why I love not working out alone or doing anything alone because every once in a while you need somebody who believes in you. You say, I'm, I'm done. I can't lift anymore. You got to love those friends that say, suck it up. Give me three more. You can do this. They rub your shoulders a little bit. Just throw some water in your face. They're the friends you need. Not the friends of the, hey, you're right. You, you should have quit a long time ago. You're never going to make it. All right, Job's friend, you can go home. I need some women and men of faith. I need some people to speak faith into my life. When I feel lost, when I feel broken, when I feel like I'm hurting and I can't lift anymore, I need somebody to get behind me and spot me a little bit. Spot me a little bit. Help me lift it. I can't do this by myself, so help me lift it up. You need some people like that. You need a small group like that. You need to be that to somebody else. I know it doesn't look good. I know it doesn't look like you're going to make it, but let me help you. Come on, Jim. Come on, Joseph. Let's lift them. He can't do it. Let's lift it with him. We need that together. We're stronger to be together. We're better together. You will finish. You will finish the race. I don't even know what God's saying to your life right now, but he's speaking. You just need to ask him, God, what are you saying to me right here and right now? Would you bow your heads with me? What's he saying? What is the area? 
that you thought you lost. But God is breathing fresh life in. I know you don't have it all worked out yet. But you're still swinging. You're still in the ring. You're still fighting. And you need to remember you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from a place of victory. You are more than a conqueror. In all these things, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. If you're here today and you need to receive that love, you need to surrender the controls of your life to God. To ask Him to come into your life and to forgive you, cleanse you, wash you clean, give you a fresh start. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer that you could pray right in your seat. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. My heart's not to embarrass you. It's just to connect you to God. If this is you on the count of three, you say, Sean, my life is not right with God or I was once close to God, but I've drifted away. I've strayed, and I need to recommit my life to Him today. If that's you, be bold. And just say, count me in that prayer when you pray it, Sean. That's me. One, two, three. Lift your hand up and just leave it up. This is me. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. There's so many hands, I can't even count them all. Yes. Come on, let's clap our hands for everybody who's raising a hand because every hand represents a soul today. God is passionately in love with. Did you put your hands down? Just pray this out loud in unison in the family worship room right here, even online. Just say, Lord Jesus, you got my attention. Today I ask you to forgive me from all of my sin and wash me clean. From this day forward, I'm yours. Be my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I belong to you. Would you just put your hand right on your heart? Just say, God, I ask you to take all of the gifts in me and use them now to reach other people with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer today?